Lord, we pray now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of men. That's a waste of time. But may the word of God go forth with power. Make this the most attentive hour of our week. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 9. Again, if you've been here, you know that the book of Hebrews was written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. Amen. Amen. Because they were struggling with going back to the old covenant. And again, you might say, why are we going over this so much? Because it's in the word of God so much. So we need to hear it so much. Can I get an amen to that? But we saw that the real focus of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is better. We saw in the beginning of the, of the book, he's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than, he's the great high priest. And so Jesus is better and Jesus is the answer. And we're thankful for the old covenant. And we love the old Testament, which we still teach. And I love so much because all of it points to Jesus. But if you allow religion to take your eyes off of Jesus, you need to repent. Can I get an amen to that? And what happens here is people are going in this first century church that many of them had given their lives to the Lord, but their families were still going to temple. And there was a short amount of time this could happen because in AD 70, the temple came down and they found out it's not about the temple, it's about Jesus. And so early on, they became Christians and they were being persecuted by the world. This is when Christians are being fed to lions. Anybody worried about being fed to a lion by coming to church today? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay. Amen. So we're here and we should be here and we should not be, we should not live in fear, but there was fear on the outside of persecution. And then they were being pulled from their family members. And a lot of what was being said was, well, you don't have a temple and you don't have a priest and you know, and you don't, you're not making any sacrifices and you guys are like meeting in homes. And so there was this struggle to go back to the old way of life again, to go back to what was familiar. Now, I doubt there's anybody here that's struggling with whether or not you should sacrifice a lamb this week. Amen. That being said though, there are some of us that after giving our lives to the Lord that can get pulled back to the old way of life or get pulled back to the way you were raised. I had a guy at our church in Santa Cruz who was my next door neighbor and, and, and he, he was my son's little league coach and he'd given his life to the Lord. He'd been attending our church for a few years and then he took some time out to go back to the Catholic church because he felt like he needed to get his sons confirmed. And I said, did they give their life to Jesus? Have they prayed and asked him to be their Lord and Savior? They've been confirmed. Can I get an amen? amen? And so the sad part is that he just felt like, well, I got to cover all, direct quote, I got to cover all my bases. Let me, let me encourage you. Jesus covers all the bases. Amen. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen. We don't need to add to the cross of Calvary. And so as we come to this morning's text, we're going to move from, again, the old covenant religion to a new covenant relationship, from an earthly sanctuary to a heavenly one, from types and foreshadows to the fulfillment, from the blood of bulls and goats that covered sin sin temporarily to the blood of our Savior that cleanses us forever, from temporary blessings to eternal ones, from once a year access to the Holy of Holies for only one man, to once and for all access to all men and women to be in the very presence of God, from keeping the law to receiving his grace, and from do, 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 to done. Amen? From walking by sight to walking by faith. 
from an earthly and temporary focus to a heavenly and eternal one, from a flawed and temporary high priest to a perfect and eternal one, from attempting to sew up the veil and keep a distance between sinful man and holy God to entering into God's presence anywhere and any time. We serve a great and an awesome God. Now, what is it that causes people to try to find their hope somewhere else besides Jesus? Why would somebody who maybe has even tasted and seen, why would they be drawn back to an old religious system or something else that this world may have to offer? And here's the reason. You ready? Lack of faith. See, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are people being drawn back to the sanctuary and the temple they could see, but there's a heavenly sanctuary that is eternal that they could not see. They were being drawn back to a priest that had black robes and was standing in front of them instead of putting their faith in the one who is risen and living and seated at the right hand of the Father and interceding on our behalf. And so it's a lack of faith that will cause us to want something tangible. And as people, that's a natural thing. We want to, you know, you don't buy a car typically without test driving it. You want to hold it and and have it it in your hands and see it in, in real life before you think you can believe. But faith is a substance of the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. And it's learning to live by faith. Now, faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. Amen? It's not seeing and believing. It's believing and then seeing. And we can trust everything that the Word of God tells us. And I hate, how many guys are tired of hearing follow the science? I'm so tired of hearing follow the science. Follow the science and my truth. The two things that make me want to throw up. Okay? Because there's not my truth, there's the truth. And our God is omniscience. Amen? And science means knowledge. And we'll follow the science to the word of God because that's the place, this scientific book ever written. Amen? And so there's this temptation to want something tangible. And there's a temptation to start to find your peace in a building. Well, that's certainly not true here. Amen. But there's people that go to a building and the church is their building and they, 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 they find their peace in the building. And God, praise God for buildings that are used for the Lord, but our faith isn't in the building and the church isn't the building. The church is you. We're the building. We're the, we're the body of Christ. Amen. So it's a lack of faith. And my, my prayer is that we'll be encouraged again to keep our eyes on the Lord. I'm reminded, I love Old Testament examples, King Saul. Why did they want king? Why did they want a king? Why did they want a king? Who remembers? Because other other kingdoms king. And why did they choose King Saul? He was handsome and he was taller, head and shoulders than everybody else. So they went for someone good looking and tall. (laughs) But they already had a king, and his name was Almighty God. And they chose a worldly king, and they were warned of beforehand, if you choose him, he will bring destruction to you. He will enslave your children. And before it's over, you'll be crying out to remove him as king. And they said, give us a king anyway. And so my prayer for all of us is that we keep our eyes on things above, that we don't find our peace and our hope in the things of this life, the temporary things of this world, but that we have a passion for the eternal and not for the temporal. So grab your outline if you have it. Should have been handed one when you got here. And I tell the message today, set your mind on things above. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 
Below that, I put, keep looking up. Don't look around because the world tempts you and, the, and there are the temporary pleasures that will draw you away from the Lord. We don't want to look back at our failures and you know, when I counsel with people, here's what I hear very often. They feel that what they've done in the past is so bad that God cannot forgive them. And we need to know, we say this often, no one is so bad that they can't be saved and no one is so good they don't need to be saved. Amen? Amen? So it doesn't matter how evil or wicked or vile you've been in the past, Jesus came for sinners. And that's a good news because everyone in this room is a sinner. And that's why Jesus came. And so we need to be reminded, again, to allow looking back at our failures to walk around in condemnation, right? The Lord does not condemn us. It's the enemy who does. And don't look within to find a way to earn heaven. And here's something that happens with all believers, I think, to some point. Don't you feel like you're closer to God if you do more things for God? And sometimes you feel better about your sin the further away you get from it. Oh, that was six months ago. That's a long time ago a little better about that now. Here's the good news. When you ask God to forgive you, he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. He cannot forget, but he chooses not to remember. And you need to be reminded that when he looks at you, he sees you holy because he sees you through the shed blood of his son. Amen. So we're going to only have two points this morning. We're going to look at verses 11 to 22. First, we're going to look at a heavenly sanctuary. See, they were excited about their temple and the sanctuary in their temple, and they were focused on that. And we need to be focused on a heavenly temple. The old covenant model was good. The old covenant was God's plan for thousands of years. It was a way for, for men to approach the Lord and to recognize their, that their sin came with a great price. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness for sin. But we know that it wasn't the ultimate answer. It was always pointing to the one who is the answer, Jesus Christ. The new covenant is not a model. It's the real thing. The old covenant was temporary. The work was never finished. You know that one piece of, there's one piece of, that's nowhere inside the temple, a chair, because no one ever sat down because the work was never done. They were making sacrifices constantly. And why? Because they had to be reminded daily, hourly, always, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. So it was constant. It was a work that was ongoing. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words were tetalistai, which is, is, it is finished or paid in full. And so praise God. Yeah, praise God for the old covenant temple. It was used by God mightily. It was a way to exhibit obedience to the Lord and to look forward to the coming Messiah. But when Jesus died on the cross, we don't need the temple anymore. We again are the temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Secondly, not only a heavenly sacrifice, a sanctuary, excuse me, but a superior sacrifice, more than a temporary one that covers our sin for a short period of time, but one that cleanses us forever. It allows all who come to him to enter into intimate and eternal fellowship with God. We talked about this last week as we were talking about sewing up the veil. And one of the things that you'll see in the cults and in other religions is here's what you'll see. You'll see a barrier between man and God, a man-made barrier between man and God. And you'll see that putting up works and levels and things you have to do to achieve a closer walk with God. And what do all the cults do and the false religions do? The cults do this. They make Jesus less and man more. So they elevate man and they bring the Lord down. The Mormon church is infamous because they believe that Jesus 
Uh, that Elohim, the God of our planet, used to be a man on another planet that was so good, he got to become God of our planet. And Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, and they had a discussion in heaven, all these elders up in heaven, as to who would be the savior of the world, and they chose Jesus over Satan, and that's why Satan is the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. They also teach that if you're a good man on this planet, you can be God of your own planet. Well, someone else tried to be God. His name's Lucifer. How'd that work out? Amen. So the reality is that we see this nonsense that is taught, but people are attracted to it because our flesh wants to work for something. We want to earn it. We want to show that we've, we, we deserve it. Here's the reality. None of us want what we deserve because we all deserve hellfire. Amen. Amen. The new people are like, why did I come? I've already been told I'm a sinner and I deserve hellfire. We're the back door. Hey guys, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Amen. Amen. That's the good news. So let's begin there in verse 11, looking at, and I love this picture, looking at the fact that, again, our Savior, our God, our King is willing to suffer and die in our place. We might have eternal life. And I hope we leave here with a, a better focus on where we should keep our eyes, where we should have our passion in our lives today. So let's set your mind on things above, looking at a heavenly sanctuary. Look there at verse 11. And then it says, but Christ. So in response to the first 10 verses there, we talked about last Sunday in sewing up the veil. We had five reasons that the old covenant was inferior. It was material and earthly sanctuary. It was a type of something greater. It was inaccessible by the people. It was temporary. And again, it only ministered to man's outward need. So we read that for 10 verses. And then here's the response, but Christ. And praise God that in light of all of that, all those things that could not get us uh, into a right relationship with Almighty God for eternity, that our sins could be forgiven forever, that we could be redeemed forever, that the price would be paid in full. Those things could not happen under the old covenant. It was obedience to God. It was always pointing to the Lord. All those other things fell short, but Christ... While the old covenant, the tabernacle, its furnishings were all clear pictures of Christ, while daily, weekly, and annual sacrifices were all put in place by God to reveal the high price of sin and serve to cover man's sin, push it forward to the coming Messiah, could not bring redemption, it had to be repeated daily. Only man once a year could enter into God's presence. It only had the power to cleanse outwardly, but it did not transform people inwardly, and it was simply a picture and a place. But Christ comes as a fulfillment of all the Old Testament types and pictures. When Jesus came, he instituted a new and a superior covenant. The old covenant sacrifices, the high priest, again, they were good. But when Jesus came, he brought us something so much better. So how is it better? How is it better than the old covenant? These early Jewish Christians were being tempted to run back to. Imagine sitting here and getting this letter from the apostle Paul. I believe Paul that wrote it. We don't know for sure. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews and you get this letter and you're struggling because you hear the shofar blow and everybody's crowding to the temple and you're being persecuted from the outside and you're having a Bible study with six people in your house. And there's this drawing away, this temptation to go back and they read this letter, but Christ, and then it says this, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation. See, they were concerned that they didn't have a temple. 
And they're being told that what Christ did is he, he made a temple not made with hands. He gave us a heavenly temple. They said, you don't have a priest. Well, no, we have the great high priest. See, the priests of the Jews, the Jewish priests would die. They'd have new priests every once in a while because priests died. Sometimes a priest would be uh, disqualified, so they'd have to get rid of their priests. So they were constantly going through new, new high priests all the time. And guess what? When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he became the great high priest that will never be replaced, that never will die, and will never be disqualified. And we never have to look for anyone or anything else to save us because Jesus Christ already paid it all. Amen? Amen? And praise God for that. And so... Christ came as a high priest of God's good things to come, a better high priest. We've talked again about this for, week, for weeks. High priests could, were good, but the great high priest is better. So what are the good things to come? Better promises, an eternal inheritance, things hoped for. Jesus is the high priest, again, of better promises, and we're so thankful for that. Now look what it says here at the, at the beginning or at the end of uh, verse 11. He says, not made with hands. This is not of this creation. It's a greater tabernacle, not of this creation. It's more perfect. It's complete. It's finished. You know, it's been said that the temple was probably the greatest building ever built in the history of the world. You could at least argue that. And so it's hard when you look at that temple if you're in the days when it was there, and then to think, well, how can you have a greater temple? I used to go to India every year and teach up to a thousand pastors at a time how to teach the Bible. And I was trying to think of an analogy. And at one of the times I was near the Taj Mahal. So they took me over to the Taj Mahal to see it. And it's a magnificent building. I can imagine going to these Indian guys. Uh, we're going to have a better Taj Mahal. <laughs> Dude, have you seen the Taj Mahal? The place is sweet. You got a better Taj Mahal. Well, imagine saying a better temple to these people who, who worship the temple to a degree who the temple is their place where they go to meet God. And it was God's place, but it's hard for them to grasp that there's something better than the temple. And guys, we don't worship the temple and we don't worship the church. And as I say often, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity and his name is Jesus Christ. We don't worship men. Amen? Amen. We don't worship denominations. We don't worship the Bible. We read the Bible so we worship the Savior. Amen. And he's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. Unlike the tabernacle in the temple that was used by the early Christians that were tempted to go back to, this tabernacle was perfect because it wasn't made by men. It was made by God. It's not on earth and temporary. They don't know just how temporary it was. This, most people believe this book was written like between AD 66 and AD 68. In AD 70, just a few years away, the temple is going to be gone. Not one stone will stand on another. And even though it was done by the Romans, it's true that no doubt in my mind that God allowed it because he didn't want people worshiping the temple. He wanted people worshiping his son. And that's exactly what needs to happen. So in heaven, the tabernacle is there. It's eternal. It's inhabited by the Lord. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father and we never, it will never need to be repaired. It'll never have to be fixed. It'll never be removed. Uh, they can fight. There no, no missiles are going to be fired by Hamas on it. Amen? Yeah. It's always going to be there. And our God is faithful. As beautiful and awe-inspiring as the temple was at the time, it was nothing compared to what we're going to see in heaven. I just can't imagine. I was talking to Becky last night about her husband, Joe, and one of my probably five closest friends on this planet. 
and I have such peace because I saw Joe in his suffering. Then at the end, we were praying that he would stop suffering and go be with Jesus. Because guys, Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. And Christians die well because we have peace because we know where we're going. And the world, if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid of death. If you know the Lord, death has no sting. And you know what's great about it? As I just was imagining, death, Joe had been in heaven a few minutes. And I said, Becky, what is he seeing? And guys, I'm telling you, heaven's better better than you can imagine. No matter how great you think heaven's going to be, it's going to be better than that. Amen? Amen. Beyond our ability to imagine. By the way, seeing Jesus face to face, being around his throne forevermore, being surrounded by the angels, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more mortgage. Amen? Amen? It's all paid for. We're in the presence of Almighty God. And guys, to be there forever. This life is but a vapor. And so often we're focused on the temporal without focusing enough on the eternal. We're more focused on what's left of this life. And again, we should be good stewards of this life. God, Jesus came, they might have life, life more abundant, but we need to know that this is not our home, heaven is. And when we have a heavenly perspective, it changes the way we do everything. You know what? When you recognize that heaven is your home, you become more generous because you realize the things of this world aren't that important, but people are. Amen? Amen. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And we need to invest in the kingdom of God and for his glory. Nothing more beautiful than heaven. No home, no beach, no mountain can compare to heaven. This world is fallen. We used to go up to Yosemite when I was a youth pastor at San Jose, and our senior pastor would take us out there, and we, we'd always go by Half Dome and take a, a, a group photo of all the pastors. And I remember one year we were all looking at Half Dome, kind of in awe. It's a beautiful spot. If you've ever been to Yosemite, it's beautiful. It's magnificent. And you got to love Pastor Don. He looked at it, and he goes, guys, compared to heaven, dung heap. <laughs> so the things that we strive for in this life that we invest all time in, that we're too busy to minister to other people, that we're too busy to serve in a local church, we're too busy to get out of our comfort zone. It's because we're focused on half dome. We ought to be focused on heaven. Set our eyes on things above, not on things of the earth. So number one, it's a heavenly sanctuary. It's eternal. It's better. Secondly, verses 12 to 22, it is, there is a superior sacrifice, a superior sacrifice. Look at verse 12. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Unlike the priest, the fallen priest, who could only go in one time a year, and he came in to the Holy of Holies once a year on on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and when he would come in, he would bring first blood to make a sacrifice for himself, and then blood to make sacrifices for others. But I want you to notice something for everyone else. But notice something. He didn't bring his own blood. And it says here that Jesus, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. See, Jesus is not only the great high priest, he's also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is both the high priest and the sacrifice. Now I guarantee it. I can say this with great assurance. There was no other sacrifice 
that was willing to be sacrificed out. I don't think goats were lining up to be next. Now it's my turn to get my, my throat slit, right? No, I don't think so. But Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. The next time you're wondering how valuable you are, when the world tells you you're of no value, I was talking to a young man this week who kept saying that I'm of no value. It'd be better off how I wasn't on this planet. I'd be better off if I was dead. It would just be easier for everyone else. And that's the lie the enemy tells you. And how you determine the value of something, what someone's willing to pay for it. I know I say this a lot, but this is what Jesus paid for you. You are the pearl of great price. That parable that talks about where he goes and sells everything to buy a field to get that pearl. You're that pearl. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. And here we have this picture and a reminder that Jesus took his own blood into the most holy place, and unlike the, the Day of Atonement, they had to do that every year. And in the meantime, they would make thousands of sacrifices between the Day of Atonement and the next Day of Atonement. And they would with anticipation for that one man to go in there once a year and everybody else was on the outside looking in. Inside the Holy of Holies, there was a veil and beside, behind that was the holy place and there was another veil behind that. And so the people are way out here on the outside having no idea what's happening there. And they're not close to the holy place. They're separated from it. There's a barrier between them and the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and we can enter into his presence anywhere and anytime. And we can have intimate fellowship with almighty God. And it depends on no other man. You don't need to confess your sins to other people. You don't need another person to bring you into the presence of the Lord because Jesus already brought you there. If you have repented, if you've surrendered your life to the Lord, made him more than just your savior, but your Lord, you can have intimate fellowship with the Lord all day every day. The bell's been torn. He invites you to enter in. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen. And praise God for it. Brings peace to whatever circumstance. Because I counsel most, a lot of people in this room, I know a lot of stuff you guys are going through that nobody else knows. And, and it's between me, you, and the Lord. And I know a lot of people in this room are suffering right now. I know a lot of people in this room are going through some great difficulties right now. And I know some people barely made it to church today because it's been a really tough week. And you know what? You need to be reminded how much the Lord loves you, the fact that you're a citizen of heaven, that your sin has been paid for, and again, you are so, so valuable to him. See, the animal sacrifices allowed the priesthood to enter into the earthly model, but could perfect no one, could bring no one with them, only one person could go, and had to be repeated again and again and again. There's a big difference between the animal sacrifices because, again, Jesus not only was the high priest, but he's also the sacrifice. Do you know that Jesus became a man to die? The Bible says he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. As he was creating the heavens and the earth, he knew he was going to have to come and die, and he created it anyway. He knew every wicked, vile thing we would ever think, say, or do, and he came to die for us anyway. Now, we saw his humanity in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thy will be done. See, Jesus knew the price that was about to be paid. And while salvation is a free gift, it came at a heavy price for our Savior. It says, once for all, there in verse 12, once for all. I love that. He entered the, the priest once for all. 
He just came in one time. The price was paid one time, and it is finished. It's been paid in full. It never needs to be repeated ever again. By the way, that's why, again, I, I'm not trying to pick on you know, churches, but when people say that we're eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood, literally, that's not. And by the way, we're not crucifying Christ again and again and again. Amen. And that's why I'll be, you know, if you've got a cross with Jesus on it, I'd encourage you, uh, get another one because he's not there. Amen. He's risen. He's in heaven. He's not hanging on the cross. He hung on the cross once. He paid the price once and for all and praise God for it. Again, we have been forgiven. The old covenant couldn't save. It was not a permanent solution. It was pointing to the one who would come. And now Jesus has come. Again, Jesus in the new covenant was access not to the model, but to heaven. I don't want to, you know, I'm sure there were people that really wanted to know. I wonder what happens in the holy place. I wonder what happens in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest gets to see. Boy, I can't imagine what's in there. In the new covenant, we have access. We can enter in and we can have that intimate fellowship with the Lord. I want to say this too. I think the high priest, obviously, was an act of worship, but they were motivated by the law. To the high priest, everything was about the law and praise God for the law. But the law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. See, the law can't save you. It just shows you you need to be saved. The law is a mirror that reflects and shows. Now, the law can be a good guideline for living a holy life and praise God for the law. But when we make the law the source of salvation, we've missed it. Because the the law is not the source of salvation. And even obedience to the law is not the source. It can be the fruit of salvation when we walk in obedience, but it's not the source of salvation. And what I love here is that while the high priest did it according to the law, and they were very meticulous on how they did it, and praise God, they should be, because God commanded it, and they wanted to do it perfect, and wanted to do it exactly as God commanded. But see, Jesus did not go to the cross because of the law. Jesus wasn't motivated by the law. He was motivated by love and love for you. So remember that, that, you know, while they were doing it according to the law, if I, if I, if I, if we wrote a law that you have to love your wife, I don't think she would like it. She want my wife, I might, I love my wife of 36 years and I love her because I choose to love her. I can't imagine my life without her. I love to induce her to other people. I, I love my wife. Now I mo- when I do things for my wife, it's not motivated by law. It's motivated by love and praise God that Jesus didn't go kicking and screaming because the law said he had to go. Can I get him into that? Amen. Aren't you glad he, oh man, I got to save those stinking sinners, man. <laughs> Bunch of vile people. They don't deserve any of it. I got to pay them. Jesus didn't do that at all. He loved you. And out of love for you, he took all of your sin upon himself. He knew separation from the father. He was willing to die in your place. That you might, he was willing to suffer as if you lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve. Why would we want to go back to the temple? Why would we want to go back to the foreshadow of the one who's coming? Why would we want to run back to the law when we have grace, when we have the mercy of God and the grace of God and the eternal forgiveness that comes only from God? Why would we want to grab a hold of a building when we have Jesus? Amen? Amen. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, or, uh, without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of bulls and goats, it was an, obedient, an act of obedience to what God had commanded. And again, it was a constant reminder. If you, if you were here when we went through Leviticus, which is the bloodiest book in the Bible, you saw repeatedly, by the way, it's on the radio right now, we get more requests for Leviticus than any other book in the Bible. And the reason we do, most people have never heard it taught before. And the reason people don't teach it is it's a bloody mess. <laughs> all that blood is all showing us that the price of salvation is not cheap and that it requires the shedding of blood. We talked about this just last week. When is the first time you see the shedding of blood in the Bible? Genesis chapter three, Adam and, or in, early in Genesis, Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. We talked about this. You know, God says, everything is yours. Everything is profitable. You can walk in the cool of the day. You can have intimate fellowship. You don't touch that tree. You can do anything you want. All profitable. You can talk to me in the cool of the day. By the way, I'm going to bring you a beautiful wife and a perfect husband. Only person to have a perfect and perfect husband was Adam and Eve, and it didn't last long. Amen? <laughs> but he kept saying, don't touch the tree. Anything, don't touch that tree. And we're all, we all get mad at Adam and Eve like, what a bunch of knuckleheads. He said, yeah, everything that, by the way, there was no death. There was no pain at the time. Everything was perfect, and you just talk to God in the cool of the day like he's right next to you. Beautiful. And then he touched the tree. I have an idea it didn't take long. I don't think that tree was there six months. I don't think it was there it might have been there a few days. I don't think it was long, though. They had enough time to, you know, Adam named the animals, had a wife, and all of a sudden, there we go. And we blame Adam and Eve to touch the tree, too. Can I? Amen. amen. So they, they sinned in the garden. And then they covered themselves up because they fell naked and ashamed before the Lord because now they had sinned in their life and sin separated from God. We know that God tells us that he then went and slain animals. He took the skins, to, they gave them skins to cover their nakedness. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering for sin. Amen. It goes all the way back to the early, early in Genesis. So guys, the, without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering for sin. And so that was the focus. And now what's, you know, if you'll notice there, it talks about the ashes of a heifer. How many have ever heard of the red heifer before? Okay. The heifer that they used had to be perfect. And it had to be red and do you know they're trying, and I think they may have had gotten one. Well, I keep hearing that maybe they have one now. You know, they're all, they're preparing to rebuild the temple and they've already got the gold lampstand and, you know, they've got several of the items and they've been, they've been breeding, trying to breed a red heifer. Not long ago, they had one, one gray hair, so it was disqualified. So what do they do with the heifers? What is the red heifer about? Well, if you know, if you look in Old Testament scripture, it's in, it's in, in Numbers 19, a special red heifer was offered and burnt and the ashes were kept. And if you were to come into contact with a dead body, you became unclean. This meant ceremonial uncleanness, which kept you from worship and from offering sacrifices until you were cleansed. And to be cleansed, you would go to the priest who would mix the ashes of a, of a red heifer with water and sprinkle them on you so that you would be cleansed. So we don't have red heifers anymore. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to shed the blood of bulls and goats anymore because we have Jesus. The search again for a red heifer continues to be underway as they prepare to rebuild the temple. The word of God is clear. I believe that the temple will not only be built, 
Uh, personal Pastor Dave opinion, I believe it'll be built during the Great Tribulation after we're already gone. But they're definitely prepared to build it. So the Old Covenant had ceremonial cleansing, temporarily cleansed, uh, you know, the flesh. And instead, we're under grace. Under the New Covenant, we've been cleansed. And again, our conscience has been cleansed forever. It says there in verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience. Look, if being sprinkled by ashes from a heifer or the blood of bulls and goats can bring you peace, how much more should the shed blood of the perfect lamb of God bring you peace and give you assurance? And again, in our case, we don't ever have to shed animals again. While the blood of bulls and goats had pushed their sin forward toward the Messiah, it did not pay their, for their sin once and for all. Jesus the Messiah is the fulfillment. And again, dead works, any man-made attempt to find favor with God apart from the redeeming work of the cross would never include, again, uh, and we can include the, the Old Testament sacrifice, this is never going to bring you peace. See, here's the problem, and this is the struggle for some people here today, without question. You've prayed a prayer and you've given your life to Jesus, but you keep sinning. And every time you sin, you wonder if you're saved. I'm not going to raise their hand, but there's some people here that feel that way. And when you sin, I really saved because I keep sinning. Well, nowhere in scripture does it tell us that we're sinless until we get to heaven, right? We're justified at salvation just as if we never sinned. Now we're being sanctified until the day we're glorified. Amen? So this is the process. We're in. How many people sinned this week? Okay. If your hand's not up, you got a pride problem and you're a liar. <laughs> but here's the problem. We're all sinners, but what enemy loves to do is focus on where we fall short instead of getting us to focus on what Jesus fulfilled at all. Amen? He wants you to look at your sin instead of looking at Jesus. He wants you to look back in condemnation. He wants you to look around at the world and what you need to be doing is looking up and Jesus. Amen? When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell my youth group all the time, if I can get you to quit looking back and quit and get you to look over the next four years, your youth pastor, I've done what God's told me to do. And my encouragement for all of us is don't keep looking back at your failures. Don't look around at the world and the things that it tries to draw you away with. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth because you know what? We serve a great and awesome, loving, merciful, and forgiving God. And when you sin, just remember, Jesus paid for it. Now, as Christians, should we, how should we feel about sin? Hate it. Love God, hate sin. Amen? But sin is pleasurable for a season, and the enemy will draw you away. But here's what we find. Let me say this a lot. The more, the closer we get to Jesus, the less and less time between when we sin and when we repent. Maybe it's a new, you know, you sin and it may go weeks or months. Then as you get closer, Lord, it's days, then it's hours, then it's seconds, then it's nanoseconds. Get an amen to that. There are times when the word's not even out of my mouth. Oh, that was not, oh, forgive me. Holy Spirit, head slap, forgive me. Amen. The confession comes and we're driven to our knees. And one of the questions I ask people when they say, well, I know I prayed a prayer and I gave my life to Jesus, but I still sin. How do I know I'm saved? I always say, how do you feel about your sin? I hate it. God bless you. See, when you don't know the Lord, you revel in your sin. When you don't know the Lord, you feel great about all those things. You just view it as fun. It's part of life. But when you give your the things that you once ran to now grieve you. And when you fall 
You choose to sin, it breaks your heart and it drives you to your knees to keep accounts with God. So look, we're not sinless. As Christians, we should sin less. Amen? Because we hate it. But our salvation isn't based on our sinlessness, but his sinlessness. It's not based on our good works, but his grace. That's why the covenant is so much better. Amen? It's finished. It's paid in full. To serve says there at the end of that verse, to serve the living God. Real belief impacts how we behave. Are you serving the Lord with your life? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about, now look, I don't want to turn this into a legalism thing and think you got to earn heaven. You don't. We just made that clear. But I will say this. When, when, you, when you love somebody, it's a joy to spend time with them. When you love somebody, it's a joy to talk to them. When you love somebody, it's a joy to listen to them. When you love somebody, it's a joy to fellowship with them. When you love somebody, you love to tell other people about them. So if we love Jesus, it's a joy to spend time in his word and in his presence. When we love Jesus, it's a joy to talk to him spend time in prayer. When we, when we love Jesus, it's, it's a blessing for, to have him minister to us and to speak to us through his word or for the teaching of the word of God. And when we love Jesus, he should be somebody that we want to introduce other people to. Amen? By sharing our faith. And so we don't do these things because we have to, but because we get to because we love the Lord. I spent the last week, I, my, my daughter-in-law is a huge Disney person, and we bought these tickets a while ago when they were $58 round trip because of COVID, and we went to Orlando this week. And I love to walk through crowded places with witness wear on, amen? You know, Jesus saves, uh, you know, and, you know, Jesus is essential. And it's amazing, and it happened up 200 times. I love it. I'm walking through a line and someone says, I love your shirt. I said, I, lo I love my savior. He said, me too. Hey, praise God. This older guy came out. I love it, man. I, I want to adopt him right there. You can be my grandpa because my grandpa's in heaven. But the guy came out. He saw my shirt. And he goes, I know him. I said, I do too. He goes, he's my best friend. I go, he's my best friend too. He goes, he's my savior. I said, he's my savior too. He said, I love him. I said, I love him too. He goes, I think I love him. I said, you might, but I hope not because I want to love him more than you do. And then we hugged each other. <laughs> There's a line at Disneyland. And I'm hugging this guy, and I'm like, God bless you. And I said, are you on Facebook? He goes, oh, I'm too old for that. I said, well, I'll see you in heaven. But here's the good news, guys. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? Amen. And there's a peace that comes from knowing the living God. Amen. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God. He's alive. And he loves you so much. Again, he'd rather die than live without you. Look at verse 15. It says, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now notice it says at the beginning, it uses the word, for this reason, he is the mediator. The word mediator there is the intercessor or the go-between or the record reconciler. So Jesus by his blood is the mediator between us and God the Father. He is the one who allows us to go from being separated from God to having fellowship with the Father. 
from being in rebellion against God to, to being a child of God. And Jesus is the one who does that. But notice that when you have a, when you're a, a, a testator, as it says, and somewhere a mediator, in this case, it's when does the inheritance come? When the one who gives the inheritance dies. And when did we, when were we allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies? When were we allowed to have intimate fellowship with God the Father? When the mediator died for us. And now we can intercede. He intercedes for us so we can enter into his presence anywhere and any time. Jesus by his blood brings the old covenant and the new covenant together. By the means of death, and the death of redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So he's not only the mediator of the new covenant, he's the mediator of the old covenant. See, Jesus is the savior of all those who made sacrifices in the old covenant looking for the coming Messiah. And he's the savior for all of us who look back to the cross and remember what he has done on our behalf that we might have eternal life. Remember when Jesus Right on the cross, it says that he went down into the abyss, if you will, or the boat. And now I want to tell you, here's a false teaching. I had to correct my, one of my kids' teachers. My daughter came home and told me he said this. I had to call him up at the Christian school and say, dude, you're wrong. Stop teaching that nonsense. But here's what it is. There are people that teach when Jesus died, he went down into hell and had to suffer. Have you heard that? Yeah. What did he say on the cross? It is what? Finish, Finish means it's paid in full. Jesus did not go into hell. Jesus did not need to be born again. That is the biggest bunch of nonsense ever, and it's blasphemy. Amen? Amen. But when Jesus died, he did go to the place of the dead. It's another word for Hades, right? But it was Abraham's bosom. It's where all the old covenant believers went when they died. And they were there in the presence of God, but not in what we know today as heaven. Why? Because Jesus had not paid the price in full yet. So their faith was in the coming Messiah. And it says when Jesus, during those three days, he went down and he set the captives free. Amen. He came and he shared the gospel with them again. He enters them in. He is the, you know, all the blood of bulls and goats has all been pointing to me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And they usher him into heaven. Now, how do we know all this is true? Read, we don't have time for it now, but read Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. They both die. Lazarus is poor, beggar at the gates. And the rich man, you know, wore purple, no doubt had a huge funeral. They both die. And Lazarus is in paradise, Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is in torment in hell. And he can see across the great gulf and he sees Lazarus and he says, can, can Lazarus dip his finger and put it on my tongue? I need some relief from the heat. And paraphrase, he was told, no, he can't come from there to you. And there's a great gulf between you. And that gulf is sin. See, God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. We're all sinners. So you can't have one sin in heaven. We've got a problem. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He watched all of our sin. That's why we can enter heaven. Amen. Amen. Now, the rich man is burning in hell and torment. And what does he say? Go send someone back to tell my family. This is true. I don't want them coming. Every funeral I do, I teach Luke 16. Because no matter where the person that's in the box is, heaven or hell, I tell them at the end of it, I say, do you want to know what they would say if they could come back and talk to you? And everybody says, yes. I said, they probably share with you that they love you. Let me tell you, they tell you, that, show you that they love you. They would tell you, Jesus is real. The word of God is true. And you need to repent. 
Because if they know the Lord, they know it because they're in his presence. If they don't know the Lord, they know it. Because... Now, the sad part is that he was told we're not going to send an angel back or someone back because if they will not believe the law and the prophets, if they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe even if an angel sent to them. See, the word of God is sufficient for all of us to be saved. Amen? Amen. The word of God is sufficient. And so here's this picture talking about the fact that he is that intercessor and redemption comes through him. And through his death, we have the promise of an eternal inheritance. Whenever, you know, people are having a bad day, if they know the Lord, I love to ask them, going to heaven? Not today, but yeah, you know. (laughs) Heaven's better. Heaven's not a hope so, it's a no so, amen? Amen. If you know Jesus Christ, it's not bragging, it's trusting. It's, a, it's, a, it's not, not being arrogant to say, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. I have, I have total peace about that. Now, why? Because Jesus said so. Right. Amen? Amen? And my Savior is the truth. He's not a liar. Amen? Amen. And because he promised it, I believe it, and I have peace about it. Yes. So you know what? Then I don't have fear. Because you don't fear if you know where you're headed and you trust in the Lord. We all have moments of fear, and we just need to ask God to help us with it. So the veil has been torn and what's amazing to me, more proof that what it says in Luke 16, you do know that when Jesus died on the cross, that dead people got up and went into the city and testified. Do you know that's in the Bible? How many of you guys know that's in the Bible? How did everyone not get saved? Help me out here. If your grandmother who died 22 years ago was up at your house, I'm thinking I need to get saved. Amen? Dead people are up walking around got my attention. Amen. And they're only risen because Jesus is risen. And we have the promise of eternal life because Jesus is risen. Amen. Amen. So there's the proof. What do you got? How can you be bummed about anything today? Are you going to heaven? Yes. God faithful. I know we have trials. I know we have difficulties, but God will walk through us, walk with us through them. Amen. You have the promise of eternal life, eternal inheritance. Jesus' sacrifice reached all the way forward and all the way back. I love that. Jesus died and going all the way back to Adam and Eve and going all the way forward to us. And anybody who's going to be born after us, it paid the price for all of it. What a great God we serve. I love to ask people of different religions, so how are you getting to heaven? Well, uh, I'm not, you know, I said, I said, you know, and I love, especially with Muslims, and we, we pray for Muslims, we love them. How you get to heaven? Muhammad even said at the end of his life, he didn't know if he was going. So you're following a guy who didn't know if he was going. And it was a guy that got people to convert by using a sword at their throat. You get a lot of converts that way. But guess what? He didn't die. We can dig up his bones. He's dead. We serve a risen and living Savior. Amen? Amen? Who promised that we'd have eternal life. For those, these Jewish believers to go back to the old covenant would be to ignore that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices, of all the feasts, of everything that they were doing. It was always pointing to Jesus, and they're going to keep doing this and ignore the Savior. And that's what they're being drawn back to. Verse 16 and 17. It says, therefore, where there is a testament, there must be a necessity to be the death of a testator. That's again, if until he dies, again, the the inheritance doesn't come. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Most of you know my mom and dad, just, my dad went to heaven in 2017. My mom went to heaven a few months ago. And I have power of attorney over their estate. And uh, you know, it's my job to make sure that, first of all, when my mom was sick, that she was taken care of, because that's what I was told to do. But now that they're both in heaven, 
Now their wishes of what was, what's being given to their children uh, is being handed out. And the same thing happens to our Savior. See, when he died on the cross, now the promises that have been made for the foundation of the world, the fact that he was the Lamb of God for the foundation of the world, now all of that is being, being given to us. But it couldn't happen until he died on the cross. Again, the last will and testament. Luke 22 tells us, this cup is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus says that in that last night, you know, they're, they're observing the Passover feast, looking back to their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt when the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, the angel of death passed over. They could have no concept of the cross itself uh, back in those days because the crucifixion didn't exist. But all of it was so clearly when we look at it, pointing to Jesus. They're looking back and he holds up the, the, the juice, the wine and says, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sin. See, all the other blood's going to stop. It's all going to stand here. All of that was pointing to Jesus. By the way, they're not making sacrifices anymore. So how can you hold on to the old covenant, but not do anything that the old covenant commands and still think that somehow it's a mess? And it's a mess because they've decided to use their own intellect and do things their own way instead of trust in what the word of God says. Covenant promises were solidified through the scripture, through the shedding of blood. When Abraham and God made a sacrifice, remember God they cut animals in half and Abraham walked between them with the Lord. You know, and, and it's through the shedding of blood that the covenants come. And it's through Jesus shedding of blood on the cross of Calvary that he made a promise and a covenant with us. Let's finish up. It says, therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Again, that's between, between Abraham and God. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled blood on the book itself and all the people. So this is when the word of God was handed down, and he brings down the commandments, and he takes this blood, and he sprinkles it on the people and upon the, the, you know, the word of God, right? What they had as the word of God at that point. See, the blood sprinkled on the word and the blood is sprinkled on the people. So the word of God, again, it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This makes this a living and breathing book. Amen. And then the blood of God being poured out upon us, again, redeems us from our sin. Now let's finish. It says there in verse 19, for when Moses had spoken every precept according to the goats, the water, it says in verse 20, this is the blood of the new covenant, which God has commanded you. Then likewise, they sprinkle with the blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. Now watch this. And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And then notice what it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. So without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no, again, redemption. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So good works can't save you. And when the enemy lies to you and tells you, you got to be better to, to earn heaven, uh, you can't be better. I want to be good. I had a bad week. I should go to church Sunday and Thursday. That will get in with God. <laughs> you know, I've done some really bad things. I, I should go mow the neighbor's lawn. Somehow that'll make up. And aren't you glad there's not a scale in heaven with your name on it? And every time you blow it, it's going like this. And then, oh, I went to church. And then, you know, but here's the reality. It'd be so far apart, they'd never even get close. But here's the thing. In heaven is not a scale. 
name on it. There's a Lamb's Book of Life with your name written in it. And he doesn't have an eraser on that pencil. Amen. And your name's there. Promise of eternal life. And he will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. Exodus says, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. The covenant between man and God required the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, again, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Again, we talked about in Genesis 3 that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, there had to be the shedding of blood for the covering of sin. Many today think that sin is forgiven by time or by good works or by decent lives. None of that redeems us. None of that saves us. None of that forgives us. It's the grace of God alone. Again, belief is reflected in behavior. But we will continue to be sinners until the day that we're in heaven with the Savior. And we shouldn't. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. But that being said, every time you sin, you shouldn't feel like God's condemned you. Just remember, that's why he had to forgive you. Amen? Amen. And so when we sin, it should drive us to our knees. And we should, again, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. And you know what? I, when, what grieves me the most when I sin it's not only do I hurt others, but most importantly, it breaks my heart because I know I'm grieving my Savior. So in closing, I want, I want to say this too. There's no perfect forgiveness apart from a perfect sacrifice. That's why whenever they made sacrifices, they always had to examine the animals. Well, guess what? We've got the perfect sacrifice. His name is Jesus. So set your mind on things above. Keep looking up. Don't look around at the world, its temptations and its temporary pleasures. Don't look back at your failures and walk around condemned. Don't look within and try to achieve it through your own good works. We see that there's a heavenly sanctuary. Uh, the old covenant, the model was good, but the new covenant is not a model. It's the real thing. The old temple, temple is gone. It's been gone for 2,000 years. It was torn down. The sanctuary in heaven is eternal. It's not going anywhere. Amen? And then a superior sacrifice, more than a temporary covering of the sin, it cleanses us forever. All those sacrifices were just recognizing our sin and pushing it forward to the coming Messiah. It was a temporary covering. When Jesus died on the cross, it was all paid and paid in full. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. It's such a blessing and a joy to be your children, adopted into your family. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray also for those who are here today that are struggling to feel like they're unworthy of you. Lord, we know we're all unworthy of you. None of us deserves heaven. We've all fallen short. But Lord, we know that you know every wicked, vile thing we've ever done. You know us best and you love us most. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray no one would leave here condemned by their sin when they have an opportunity right now to be forgiven from all of it, past, present, and future. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, the Bible says if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Not asking you to join a church or to do anything for, for men, but just giving you an opportunity right now to recognize your need to be forgiven. To recognize that you know what? I've known about the Lord, but I don't know him. I don't have intimate fellowship with him, and I want to. The word repent means to change your mind, to change direction, to change of heart, to turn around and to surrender your life to him. If you're here today and you want to know that you're forgiven, 
You want your sin washed away. You want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you want the Holy Spirit to come and rule and reign in your life. If that's your desire. You want to ask God to forgive you. Invite Jesus into your heart. If that's your desire, raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all. Today's the day of salvation. Don't leave here without the Lord. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. We thank you, Lord. We long for the day when we will see you face to face. We thank you, Lord, the promise of eternal life, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. To you alone be all the praise, the glory, and the honor. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...